Climate change threatens every one of us. But what would you sacrifice if giving something up could solve the climate crisis? We've done a big survey in every European Union country, in China, in the US, and in Britain, to find out what people are ready to do to fight climate change, to understand what solutions they think will work, and whether they're even worried at all about climate change now that COVID-19 threatens us. Then we spoke to experts about what it all means for the future of our planet. I'm Matt, and this is Climate Solutions. Today, what would you give up to save humanity? What's the connection between cars, Netflix, your new pants, and sausages? If you said climate change, you were right. Each of these things has an impact on climate change because making them or running them results in the emission of carbon into the atmosphere. So let me ask you then, which of these things would be harder for you to give up if you had to, to halt climate change? Now, just to be perfectly clear, when I say give up your new pants, I don't mean that you have to give up your new pants and walk around without any pants on, but maybe you wouldn't buy new clothes for a while. Okay, we've cleared that up. Back to the question. What would you give up? We asked 30,000 people in the EU, China, the United States, and the United Kingdom, and this is what they told us. See if it's anything like the way you would rank these choices. In the EU, Britain, and the United States, the hardest thing to give up was the car. That came in at between 33% and 39%. For the Chinese, giving up red meat would be the toughest sacrifice. A quarter of Europeans and Americans also said red meat would be the hardest thing to give up. And about the same proportion, 15 to 17%, said the biggest sacrifice would be to stop streaming video. Your pants, incidentally, dropped much lower down the list, if you'll pardon the pun. But citizens tell us they're already making sacrifices. 77% of EU citizens are taking actions designed to reduce their impact on global warming. That's about the same as Britain and America, and a little less than China. Two-thirds of Europeans are eating less red meat than they used to. During the COVID pandemic, most people have flown very little or not at all, and they tell us that they think that's going to continue. Obviously, that's good for the climate, because air travel causes a large amount of carbon. Here are the numbers. One-third of EU citizens say they'll avoid air travel once the pandemic restrictions are lifted. But there's a catch. According to Adelaide Zulfi-Kalpasik, the director of opinion polling at BVA, the company that carried out the survey, there's a gap between people's good intentions and what they're really willing to do when we press them on what they would actually give up. Uh, most of European respondents say they are making radical lifestyle, lifestyle changes to reduce their contribution to climate change, or that at least they are trying to uh, make efforts. And in reality, um, they are ready to make an effort as long as it does not imply too much renunciation, and as long as it does not affect their daily life. Take the car. For individuals, it's one of the biggest sources of pollution. So isn't it a no-brainer to give it up? For some people, we have to keep in mind that it's also a work tool, uh, it can be a social tool, it can be the only way you have to access quickly to public services or to shops. Um, so um, that's why there are, um, there are indeed uh, significant differences um, and disparities between uh, categories, for instance, and it's logical, you have um, many differences 
um, depending on where people live and it's much more difficult uh, to give a car for people living in rural areas compared to people living in big cities. The answer is no less of a test for people's good intentions when we ask them about streaming. They can take action to fight climate change, but only if uh, this action uh, does not involve uh, too many sacrifices, too many renouncements, and as long as it doesn't affect their comfort of life too much. Um, for instance, uh, I have in mind uh, a survey about uh, digital uses. Um, people were saying, uh, okay, um, I know that uh, digital can have a negative impact on climate change. I know that I, can, I have to do something. So, okay, I'm ready to clean up my mailbox every day. Uh, I'm ready to clean my photos. Um, and when, when asking them, and would you be ready to give up uh, watching uh, video and streaming? Ah, uh, no, not really. So um, they, were, they were only ready to do uh, what was easy for them to do. And we, we, we have the same phenomenon here. If people don't want to make these changes, I wondered if perhaps businesses would make the changes for them. I don't mean that airlines would shut down and stop flying. I mean that if people think flying is the easiest thing to give up, presumably the airline industry will see that as a real incentive to make flying greener so that people don't feel the need to give up flying because flying is no longer so polluting. To find out if I was right, I asked someone who knows about markets and climate, Ed Coulthrop, head of the Climate Policy Unit at the European Investment Bank, the EU Climate Bank. As we come out of the crisis and growth picks up again, you know, I think certainly for the, the long-haul sector, there's really very little alternatives. So I suspect there we're looking really at a sort of technology-led solution to you know, find ways and, and alternative technologies to reduce the carbon emissions from, from flying. And we know the industry is very engaged in that. And there's all kinds of interesting um, announcements from, from, from several of the big players. What, what would they be? What would those, is this hydrogen-powered planes? Or are there other things that I haven't yeah, heard about? No, well, I think we saw. I mean, perhaps the most uh, significant was the was the announcement from Airbus and the the back end of last year, which was really saying that. Yeah, was saying that that, that they're going to go having thought through. I think alternatives around um, battery powered flight. Um, they are now really going to work on the hydrogen model, meaning essentially you're running hydrogen through a modified gas turbine to, to propel the aeroplane and with, with a fuel cell to provide electricity on board. Um, and they've, you know, they've set themselves five years to really think through the design of the aircraft, uh, indicating that you know, even, if, even if that were to be successful, there's probably another 10 years before that can be rolled out. I also asked Ed to answer the question I asked you earlier. What's the connection between cars, Netflix, sausages, and your new pants? In other words, how does streaming video or buying new jeans really contribute to global warming? As a consumer, it's really tough to know how much carbon is embedded in each of those activities. The issues around meat, um, I, mean, I think, have become much 
better understood in the last 20 years and a lot of focus on it. But the issue is largely around um, you know, so-called ruminants, so, so cows and sheep. And what's the issue? Well, I mean, the issue, I think, is has this, this, this technical um, term of enteric fermentation, which is essentially just a, a nice way of avoiding talking about material digesting in the stomach of, of cows and sheep, which obviously, I mean, in a low, car, low oxygen environment, results in, in emissions of methane. And those are pretty sizable. You could imagine associated with that is manure, which also is responsible then if, if untreated for, for emissions of methane. There's fertilizers. And perhaps the bigger one, uh, in some sense, is, is an indirect one, which is that you know, cattle are, are, are fed on, on a variety of fodder, but that, in principle, may be being imported. There's a, you know, significant concerns around um, essentially the conversion of land, the easiest being a forest, and, and lo and behold, it then gets converted into agricultural land, and you lose that, you lose that stock. And, and all of those play a, play a role, but it, in terms of the numbers, then um, for for you know, cows and sheep, red meat essentially. I mean, to give to illustrate that, you know, there's there's a lot of different assumptions sitting behind it. But I mean, the, the, I think the numbers that we we see for for a kilogram of steak, you're probably looking at 25 to 35 kilograms of CO2 equivalent. Um, if you were you know switching to pork, you might be down to let's say 10, and if you're eating pasta, you're you're probably well below one. One kilogram. This is good. It's pretty complicated, but I'm still waiting for an answer about my pants. Associated with the clothing industry, the fashion industry, we have we have fibres, we have fabrics, um, and embedded in there is often you know, types of, of plastics make things nice and stretchy. Plastics are associated with with uh, large amounts of carbon emissions. We have finishing processes. We have the you know, the packaging and the transport. You know, there's all kinds of numbers out there, but I think the the one that sticks in in the mind is I think Levi's came out with a number fairly recently on in terms of the life cycle analysis on on a pair of jeans, and they were looking at a, around 35 uh, kilograms of, of greenhouse gas equivalent per per pair of jeans, and obviously that's that's means something different if you're wearing the same pair of jeans for 10 years than if you're buying 10 pairs of jeans a, a season, as, as perhaps the fashion industry wants us to do. So that, yeah, there are issues, and, and actually on fashion, there's also clearly wider issues. Um, notably, yeah, there's obviously concerns around labor standards, uh, and there are wider environmental issues around, around water consumption. I mean, cotton requires huge amounts of waters, water. And that's often being um, grown in, in, in parts of the world that are currently struggling with, um, with water shortage. You're probably listening to this podcast on a digital device. That's part of your carbon footprint, too. Video streaming services, look, this is, this is basically consumption of electricity. And you know, data centers are huge consumers of, of electricity. But I, I would you know, immediately make the point that if you're a data center in Norway, and hence your electricity is generated from from hydro. You know, there's there's essentially no issue. I mean, there is still there always remains a, an energy efficiency point, but um, you know, in broad terms, there's there's, there's not much of a GHG um, impact issue. Very different if you're 
data center is is situated somewhere where there's um, relatively high carbon emissions in in power generation at, at, at the moment. Okay, so let's get to the one no one wants to give up. Transport as a whole is about a quarter of all emissions in the EU, and 70% uh, or so of that is is from road transport. Um, you know, I, I don't want to matters. I don't want to be too provocative, but I'm not sure we need to stop owning a car. But in any event, there are issues around the, the, the amount of use of cars. Um, but certainly, if were we to all stop owning a car and to stop using a car, then then yes, that would have an enormous impact. So if we knew all this, if we could put a number on exactly how much carbon was being emitted whenever we bought or used something, would people always make the right decisions? Well, we're a long way from that. In fact, people don't seem to think it should be a priority. Half of Europeans said we should prioritize better recycling. Only one-fifth said that all products and services should be labeled with their carbon footprint, the amount of carbon used in production and distribution. This seemed backwards to me. Of course, I want to recycle my waste, but if I can see the carbon footprint of everything I use, there's an incentive for companies to make the footprint lower so that fewer resources are used up in the first place. I mean, I had this discussion with some of my students. This is Martial Foucault, director of the Centre de Recherche Politique at Sciences Po, the top French university. In this institution, we are supposed to educate future uh, civil servants, uh, manager in international organization, and so on and so on. When they travel, when they buy air tickets, they don't really know how much they have consumed in terms of carbon. So for me, it's very interesting. It means that you could inform people, but inform will take this information as important if, it, if it's uh, like um, uh, a public information. Uh, we need to to, to debate, to, uh, to insist on such elements, of such educational elements of environmental issues. Otherwise, it's just like something, okay, uh, I, uh, I have consumed uh, uh, X uh, tons of carbon, but uh, who could um, uh, prevent uh, me to travel? So, the first dimension is education. If we observe a big uh, uh, divide, for me, it's just uh, there is a need to inform young people at the primary school, high school, university uh, about such um, such a standard. Uh, uh, we we have to we have to respect. Se uh, second dimension, culture. For me, it's it's all. It's, it's also close to uh, what we what we discussed before uh, about uh, consumption, because the, the radical way for uh, uh, I mean for reducing I mean if uh, fifty percent respondent in EU uh, are more in favor to uh, recy recycling uh, systems, it means that in a sense they are more uh, uh, I will say differently. Uh, if you are in favor for better re recycling system, it means that you condemn consumption. You, you consider that um, you you may find alternatives to uh, to consume new products. If you are more um, aware 
about uh, carbon footprint, I mean, my understanding, it corresponds to people who do not necessarily blame consumption, the consumption of new product. You just have to alert them in terms of, okay, you, you, you may buy new products, but just, uh, just be aware that it will correspond to such a carbon footprint. If people don't want to give up their cars, it's vitally important that the cars they refuse to give up become cleaner. That's the challenge for car manufacturers and multilateral banks, such as the European Investment Bank, which provides loans to research and development at a lot of big car makers. The bank also lends to companies and authorities that build and maintain roads. Is that something we should cut back on so that we don't encourage driving? Here's Ed Calthrop. Uh, now actually step away from RDI in, in the traditional you know, internal combustion engine type technologies. So we, we focus on the on the, the, the long-term needs for electric, for electric vehicles. And probably the second dimension of that, I mean, again, if we, you know, we need to look at both the, the vehicles and, and the infrastructure. And on the infrastructure side, um, we have a, a more nuanced position towards roads, more selective position. Um, we will continue to support uh, maintenance and um, effectively reducing accidents on on existing road networks but in terms of building out new capacity then this was a a, a, you know, a prominent feature in the stakeholder engagement process around the the climate bank roadmap with arguments both for and against essentially but certainly from a ghg perspective there were there were strong concerns that, that with existing technologies building out new roads is is generating new new trips and new emissions and so our response is to be, as I say, is to be a little bit more selective and we'll, we'll be using a, 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 essentially an enhanced economic test to, to just check that the infrastructure that we're providing or helping to support is um, you know, well aligned with, with long-term demand forecasts. So it doesn't unduly rely on, on a short-term increase in a very aggressive demand forecasts, which is essentially the period when there'll be lots of emissions from conventional, uh, the conventional fleet. And combining that with a, with a very high uh, shadow cost of carbon in that, in that cost benefit test. So we're weighing up the, the benefits of the road from, from, the, from the costs to the extent that a, a piece of infrastructure is generating new, new trips and new emissions, then they will be um, valued at a at a shadow cost of carbon of, of 80 euros a tonne from now rising to 800 by, by 2050. But I asked Ed, what if you could snap your fingers and set the priorities yourself? So if you bestowed this, this magical power upon me, uh, Matt, I'd be, I mean, first and foremost, I would be tempted to misuse that power. So my, my, my answer would be, well, I would like to introduce a a carbon charge, let's say for the around the EIB value, so EIB shadow cost of carbon, 80 euros a ton. And then I think you would see across all these areas, you would see you know a an, an incentive at the margin to be consuming less red meat and moving towards um, you know, a European context where there's there's good food security. You, 
you could be moving towards um, you know, fish and, and poultry and, and low-carbon alternatives. We'd be able to decide when we walk into the shop whether this, this particular T-shirt is, is, uh, has higher carbon embedded in it because it will just be more expensive. Um, we would presumably be seeing, um, when I'm watching Netflix, I would be able to see, okay, if, this is, if, the, if the wind is blowing and the, and, and the sun is shining, um, then I should see that my, that my electricity bill at that particular hour is very low. Whereas if, if it's not, my prices would spike and I would have a good, good reason to then just, just, uh, just go and read a book instead, um, et cetera, et cetera. But this is not the question you asked me, Matt. So if I, <laughs> if I have to try to answer, and, and, and far be it from me to tell people what they should be doing, look, I think you know, perhaps, the, perhaps one level of looking at it is, is indeed to go back to where the biggest source of uh, GHG emissions are at the moment, and I suppose therefore I would be um, forced to go with the with the car part part. Although I would nuance that heavily and say I would be looking to. I mean, stop owning a car is a bit draconian. I would be looking at um, to to provide people with uh, with electric vehicles very quickly. Um, and to dissuade them from driving anymore with, with conventional vehicles. That's good stuff, and it makes economic sense. And what would be the biggest sacrifice for Ed if he had to give up on one of these things on our list? I think it would be sausages. Gravy. Gravy. It would be gravy. Me too. Subscribe to Climate Solutions so you don't miss any of the results of the climate survey or the explanations of our experts. You can also read the full results of the climate survey at eib.org, eib.org. In the next episode of Climate Solutions, you'll find out how people are changing their behavior to counter climate change and whether they think teleworking is going to be a big contribution to lower emissions, even after the end of the pandemic. So find out whether you agree with the 30,000 people in our survey on the next episode of Climate Solutions from the European Investment Bank, the EU Bank. <laughs>